wet socks. Cool feet. Mosquito bites. Itching reminds you you're alive. Danger around every corner. Never a dull moment. The hot sun beating down on you. Come on, a glorious tan. <laughs> I said it, and I meant it. No privacy. Captive audience. <laughs> One more. One more. <laughs> He's damn expert at that. What was it? Little game. Good out of the bag. <laughs> Yeah, come on. Come on. Come on. This week on the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast, we're talking about Strangers, episode two of season five, written by Robert Kirkman and directed by David Boyd. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, TV editor of Sound On Sight, joined as ever by our benevolent overlord, uh, general editor, general editor, editor-in-chief, all that good stuff, Mr. Ricky D. Hello, Kate. And this week, help, joining us to help us talk about this episode from TV Overmind, where he reviews The Walking Dead, of course, as well as Sound On Sight, Process Media, and his shiny new TV podcast at Sound On Sight, Mid-Season Replacements, it's Randy Dankovich. Randy, welcome back. Hey, guys. So uh, before we get dive in here with this episode, uh, just our normal caveat here at the, the top of the show, we're not going to have any spoilers for future episodes of the TV show. We haven't seen them even, you know, so we couldn't spoil it if we wanted to. Um, and we're going to keep this discussion to just being about the TV show. I have not actually even read the comics. Um, Ricky? I've uh, read the comics, but I'm at the point now where... I either do not remember what happens or I haven't read farther than where we're at right now. Like, I know something big is going to happen in, in the next few episodes. Anyways, yeah, whatever. We're not going to talk about the comic book. Yeah. And, Randy, what about you? How familiar are you with the comics? I've read enough of the comic book that I don't want to go back. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, I was fortunate enough to review this episode for the AV Club this week. I filled in for Zach Hanlon, their normal reviewer. So I actually have a better sense of what I think of this episode because I had to write it up. Um, and for me, you know, the start of the episode really, it, I was so disappointed because I liked the the premiere. Um, and the energy of it and the way that they just blasted through Terminus. And then in the start of the second episode, I started to be disappointed because it seemed like it was a lot of the faults of previous seasons coming back. Uh, but then by the end, I, I ended up being quite a fan of this episode. Uh, Randy, what did you think of that? Did you notice that as well? Or, you know, how did the episode work for you? I like this episode. I mean, like, if you combine this episode with the last episode, I think they're the two best back-to-back -back hours the show's done so far. And the best thing about this episode is it's usually this show's weakest point is when they're not doing a lot of really important things, when they're just kind of settling in for an episode and taking a breath. And I think this episode 
works really well where many ones in the past have not. I guess maybe it's because we needed it after the season premiere, but regardless, it works really well. What do you think, Ricky? I think I'm going to agree with Randy and you. Um, when the episode started, I was worried. I was worried when we had to watch those Reservoir Dog slow motion lake shots that would repeat and repeat with, you know, the group of survivors walking through the forest. And I, I just, you know, usually I like the score and I didn't even like the score in the opening sequence. So I was really worried, but I agree with you, Kate, by the end of the episode, I actually really liked it. And I think Randy, you're right. I think it's, uh, I mean, I don't know if I would go so far as to calling it the best back to back, but I can't remember the last time it's been this strong back to back. And I think what, they've done here is they found a nice balance of having the action and the gore and the necessary zombie kills and whatnot that the audience expects and also giving us some character moments, some dialogue and uh, slowing things down. And I think maybe perhaps the key to the success of the walking dead is to find the balance in two episodes as opposed to finding in one episode. Cause it just seems like in the past we've never really, I mean, there's been a few episodes, but for a good chunk of the series, there's never been that right balance, you know, that right balance of giving us that big action set piece and giving us the character development that we want and the good writing and the good acting. Uh, this is one of those episodes that has both. Um, so, yeah, and it's, it's an episode that I think really emphasizes what it's like to live in this kind of post-apocalyptic world, like a zombie world. And I think, like, you know, I, I talked about those opening shots of them walking around in slow motion, and I might not like the execution of those shots, but overall, the theme of the episode is moving forward and forgiving. And so I think even though I don't like the execution of those shots, I like the idea of every single scene and how everything connects to this this theme of moving forward and forgiveness. Um, there's things I don't like about the episode, but overall, I'm a big fan. So it sounds like I'm going to be the the Debbie Downer amongst the group then, uh, because it sounds like I was the most negative on it. Um, but yeah, like we've all said, I think there's a lot here to really like. Uh, I do want to start out with that opening uh, chunk of the episode, though. Uh, I, I actually did like that scoring there, Ricky. I like the ostinato drums. It reminded me very much. It's that's a very common touch in scoring for westerns. So I liked getting that uh, the combination of the electric guitar, which is sort of like their badass scoring with with this ostinato um, light drum underneath it that really ties it in with the old westerns, which, of course, we've talked about in the podcast before that The Walking Dead is very much inspired by westerns as well as horror. Um, so I did actually like the scoring there. And I like the use of that, uh, the, the group just being emotionally dead there, just walking forward blankly, um, looking badass while they do it. But you know, walking forward blankly, blankly contrasted with them in the church when they're very, you know, it's very warm light. They're very relaxed and they feel the most human they have in quite a while. Um, so I, I liked that part of it. What I, I didn't like at the start here was all of the really unnecessary and just, just not very well written two-person conversations we get early on. We didn't need most of them. We really didn't need to 
you know, just remind the audience who knows what about Tara, remind the audience who knows what about Carol. I mean, Carol and uh, Tyrese, the scene by the creek, it looks lovely and the performances are good, but we didn't need anything that we saw there because everything we needed to know we saw at the end of the last episode. So, I mean, even just Carol and Rick, that that scene was shot lovely, you know, really beautiful cinematography with the dark black shadow and, and then just a little bit of moonlight. I thought it looked stunning, but until we get to the very end of that conversation and we get Rick's, you know, the way he turns that around, the rest of that we really didn't need. So I, I really felt like the first part of this episode was bogged down entirely by pointless stand and talks. Yeah, but I think that's why we are actually going to agree, Kate, because if you read my review, I wrote the exact same thing in my review. I totally agree. But by the end of the episode, for whatever reason, I mean, we're going to talk about it throughout the podcast, but I just ended up liking the episode. But while watching the episode, I was like, eh, I don't know. Yes, but but Randy, you had said that you thought it was the best back-to-back we've had. Did these conversations work more for you than they did for myself or for, it sounds like, Ricky? Uh, apparently they did. I mean, I'm, I, I, I don't necessarily need every conversation on the show to be some revelatory thing. I think it was it was nice to see people be able to relax and catch their breath and not have to worry about some immediate danger around them. And if that leads to some less than compelling conversations, I mean, we have to face the fact that these seasons are 16 episodes long, so there's going to be some time wasting somewhere. And I think, you know, it's kind of obvious the construction of it all that they're pairing people off because they don't really have much else to do, but I don't know. I think it works. I've, I think they open the season so strongly they deserve a little bit of, time to sit back and by the time by the end of the episode things have picked up quite a bit again and you know the, a lot of the first half of the episode introduces us to gabriel too i think is gonna be a really interesting character once they get past the initial goofiness of the obvious secrets that he's holding i like that they didn't uh, go into that yet i like that he doesn't just immediately start spilling everything to rick because that you know it's nice to not have that happen for once before we move on to Gabriel and we'll get there soon I do want to say that I really liked what the conversation we got with Michonne and Rick and I also liked the conversation with Carol and Daryl but the difference for me with those and and there was an element of this here with Carol and Tyrese's conversation as well though that one really didn't work for me but the but the big difference between the Michonne and Rick conversation and then for example Carol and Rick is that Michonne and Rick had a reason to be talking to they were moving a thing together so they were of course they'd be talking while they did this and carol and daryl were sitting you know doing they're on watch together and as of course they also have that really strong relationship that's been established over the course of the show tara and rick are just standing around talking to each other and it looks like there's nothing going on and if they were gathering firewood or even just washing out dishes or something, it would make more sense to me because it just seemed like everybody in the frame was standing around doing nothing so that these two characters characters could talk to each other. Yeah, what I wrote in my review was I felt like for an episode that is very heavy on conversations, we don't get much outside of the characters repeating each other's dialogue verbatim. I mean, we get just about everybody talking about their past and the past mistakes they've made. Like, you know, Rick and Carol talk about their past. Carol and Tyrese talk about their past. Their own Carol talk about their past. Hell, even Tara, who normally has, you know, very little to do, talks about her past and her involvement with the governor and, you know, ultimately Herschel's death. And I don't know. I just felt like we know all of this and maybe perhaps we might to some extent want or need to see these characters have these conversations. 
But it was just a lot of characters talking about what we've already seen in season three. The whole dialogue sequence in this episode reminded me of what I didn't like in season two. Season two was a lot of conversations about people talking about what they did wrong or what so-and-so did wrong. So I like the idea of having, you know, uh, the group, the parties play catch up. And I love, I, I think you're right, uh, Kate. I love the, the sequence with Michonne when she just talks about her sword and we learned that she actually found the sword after the zombie breakout. That was great. But that's something we didn't know. And it was also like fun to watch her talk and smile and give us a piece of information and, and, about her and and the sword and so again something we didn't know but the rest of the dialogue for me just completely fell flat but said i still do like the episode i like the episode because of gabriel and because of the action set piece which i guess we can talk about um before we get to that i i just want to try and put these conversations into another context and maybe they'll work better for you guys i think the reason i think these two episodes work so well together is that the former informs the latter you have all this, you have a massacre basically where, at a pure instinct, after Carol starts causing mayhem from the woods, these people have to react, start killing people, and get out of there. And I think after that, after something that, seeing the things that were going on and facing the kind of end that they thought they were going to face, especially, you know, the people that watched other people's throats get cut. I think it, it causes uh, them to have moments of reflection where they need to look back and kind of think about who they were and who they are now. I think that was a big thing. And the end of last season was people examining, trying to figure out their identity in this world and struggling with the things they've done and the people they thought they were. And I think this is just kind of a continuation of that. And I think it's a nice thing to revisit, even if it's only for a little bit and even if it doesn't add a whole lot of other stuff to it. But, you know, you get scenes like... Um, Maggie and Tara sitting there and Tara being like, yeah, I'm kind of an idiot. Like I made a lot of mistakes back there. Like I, you know, I was trying to survive and this guy came through and he seemed nice. And yeah, so it ended up, I helped kill your father. So, you know, I think we get some useful stuff out of it, even when it's repeating itself. Yeah. But I think the problem for me is it's the execution. It's like last week I had like a little nitpick with, I forget what I was talking about, but I had a nitpick with the episode. But it was more about the execution. Like I like the ideas. I like the theme. Like, again, it's about forgiveness. It's about these characters wanting to move on, move forward. And, you know, hopefully this is it. They will move forward and we won't have to watch them sit around and talk about the past mistakes, things we've already seen on screen. So I do like the idea. And I think that's a fair point. I just personally wasn't, completely satisfied with the execution it's when i got to the end of the episode and i started thinking about the episode as a whole that i liked it better yeah i really liked that tara and maggie scene actually and that because that was also that was one that it felt like we needed to see i don't think we needed to see tara and rick have a conversation because by the time you've fought with this person to save them from uh to save each other from horrible cannibals i feel like they're part of the group especially because they know uh, I mean, they were in that boxcar for a while. They should have had a chance to chat, you know. <laughs> and they, it, I think, it seems like they should know that Tara didn't actually fight it with the governor's group. She left and didn't fight with them. So I don't think we need to see Rick accept Tara and then see Maggie accept Tara. I think we only needed to see that second scene. And it, I thought that was very successful. And then the same thing with that Michonne scene. What that really did for me was it highlighted the theme of what what appears one of the themes of the season is going to be, which is comparing Rick Rick's group, like our heroes, to these other people. You know, for example, the Terminus group, and we have Michonne saying, "Yeah, my katana was awesome, but it's just a sword." 
I care about people. And that conversation of, are we the type of group that is going to help people? Are we going to help Gabriel or not? Do we care about people or do we care about things and just ourselves? That conversation highlights that point while giving us a little bit of extra information and really, and also noting, yeah, the Catan is gone. That's been a big thing for Michonne. How does she feel about it? And I think that's why I like the introduction of Gabriel, because it's not just, an, uh, you know, adding a character who might die or who might cause havoc. It's about having this character who's forcing Rick to deal with these issues. And we're going to get to see how Rick is going to deal with strangers from now on, especially after the Terminus and especially after the prison and et cetera, et cetera, Woodbury and so on and so forth. But I feel like Rick is completely on a different page than everyone else in this group. Like, I feel like everybody in the group would be willing like maybe maybe they would think about it, but they would be more than willing to take a priest, especially a guy like Gabriel, who's screaming for help and who seems completely helpless, take him into the group and help him. Whereas Rick seemed like to be like the only person who maybe had, you know, was worried, I guess, was concerned. And I, I think Rick has every reason to be concerned. Like clearly Gabriel's hiding something, but I'm not even too sure if Carol and Daryl were picking up on Gabriel being potentially a bad guy like we don't know yet but it just feels like we're all involved with each other at the moment it just feels like rick's on a different page right now than the rest of the group especially when you contrast him with his son carl like carl continues to be rick's moral compass at this point so i don't know i just feel like like i I understand what you're saying kate and i think that's supposed to be the theme of the the season according to like the showrunners but right now it just it just feels like we're seeing the difference between rick and the group and the group and everyone else we see, but not necessarily Rick and the group as a whole, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, first of all, I just got to put my vote in. Uh, if Gabriel's not going to be willing to kill walkers, he doesn't get to go with the group. <laughs> if I was in that group, it's like, yeah, you seem nice and all, even if you're not a you know crazy person or horrible psycho. Uh, if you're not willing to help us, it, should the need arise, you don't get to benefit from our protection either. So that's where I would put my two cents. But here, here's what I'm uh, I'm confused about is Rick asks the three questions: How many people have you killed? How many zom- How many walkers have you killed? And I forget the third question. Why? And why? Yeah. And but the idea is that if you haven't actually killed a walker, then are you actually useful, or are you going to hold us back? I guess at the end of the day, he did help them get food and find shelter. Should we just talk quickly? Let's just get this out of the way. Gabriel's a uh, big deep dark secret. He locked the church and wouldn't let anybody in and they all got zombied, right? That's what happened? That's what I think happened. Randy? In the, uh, yeah. I mean, that's what they're, that's what's happened on the show. I mean, that's what the show is telling us. Yeah, it seems pretty straightforward. I mean, with the scratches going in, I really liked, you know, I thought and that... And his wife was one of those people. That's the, that's the big thing. The girl, that zombie with the glasses is the woman he was that in the picture with at the yeah. end of the episode. I would assume that's the same person. Yeah, she's the church organist. Well, she's a church girlfriend, wife. He, he's, yeah. he's a priest, <laughs> like well, Catholic but, priest. But that's what I was, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure if he's a Catholic priest or whatnot. But uh, like, is he could be a deacon? Like deacons are allowed to get married. But whatever. Regardless, if it's not his wife, it's somebody that's very close to him. Like maybe a girlfriend, a, a lover. Who knows? But yeah, she's the organist, and she's of course the zombie who we see later on that almost like eats his face off. But yeah, she's also the one in the in the photo. But the thing is, I'm assuming he kept people locked out of the church, but how long has it been going on? Has it been going on since the beginning of the zombie outbreak, or is it something that just happened later on? Like, we don't know. Like, I don't know. 
But clearly, because, you know, Carl finds the message written on the side of the church, we know he's done something terribly wrong. Yeah, well, and also this, uh, him writing, thou, thou shall not kill, or you shall not kill, whatever it is, um, feels very much like he didn't kill them, but he allowed them to be killed, kind of a thing. Um, at least that's what it looks like they're showing us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I have to remind myself that he's Gabriel, because for me, he's just Carver from The Wire still. <laughs> I can't fault their casting. Um, and, but that also tells me that I'm, I'm not very engaged with the character yet, other than, like I said earlier, being glad that he doesn't just, you know, well, here's my life story, person I've just met. Did, did he work better for you, for, for you guys? Are you particularly engaged with the character or like, are you curious? Like if they left the church, would you still be wondering what happened to Gabriel? Maybe, but I, I do like his character because he's so different than everybody else we've seen them meet along the way. Like they always meet someone that's like an asshole or someone that becomes a villain or, you know what I mean? Like he's just completely different. And he's sort of, he's sort of similar in some ways to Herschel because of course he's a priest and he's super religious, but. Uh, and of course, you know, Herschel didn't want to actually go out and like kill zombies because he was storing them in like his barn. But, um, but apart from Herschel, we haven't really seen a character quite like Gabriel since. Well, it's a different level of spirituality when you have a acting pastor. I don't, was he, was Herschel actual, actual pastor of a church? He was a pastor. Was he? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like this, them meeting up with someone who's so, entwined with spirituality at this point in their journey is kind of part of what the season is about, you know, part of this inner exploration of these people's own morality and what kind of people they are. And so I think even though some of, you know, the show's never that great at setting things up. Like I'm sure we'll talk about Bob and some of the, like the setup that they do with him. That's really obvious. Um, but I think once they get the initial stuff out of the way, the stuff that the show always kind of struggles with Gabriel could be a really interesting character. And he's going to be yeah. on the season. He's going to be uh, at least this entire season, so he's going to be around for a while. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, Seth Gilliam is going to be part of the um, – the, he's a main cast member this season, so he's going to be around the entire time. So we'll have plenty of time to get to know him. So I'm not that worried about his introduction. See, I uh, – that's so disappointing to me. Because <laughs> just – I mean, I, I guess I'll hope that they're going somewhere more interesting with him then, I guess, because the uh, – I like this idea of them running across some people and not immediately having them join the group, but maybe that's what we're going to see. And we'll certainly talk about the end of the episode and, um, you know, they could be at the church for a while before they start moving on. But before we talk about that, I do want to talk about, um, you know, what, one of the other things I liked about this episode, it's, it may have started slow for me with, um, what felt like the pacing dragging with some of these conversations, but I like that they don't stretch out the, the DC, debate or conversation here i really liked the as they are all heading into the church where they're like yeah we, we think you know go team dc but and in the end we're gonna stay with our group so whatever the group decide you know i like that and then having them not stretch out rick's deliberation as it were beyond this episode it's nice to know that there is a place they're aiming for yeah i would like to think that this is sort of like the christmas episode i've been asking for because when they all get the food and they go back to the church and they have this big, huge dinner and, you know, they each have a glass of wine and Abraham makes that big, huge speech and there's a big toast. I like to think of it as the Christmas episode. <laughs> so <laughs> you got your, you got your wish then. Uh, Randy, what did you think? Well, the whole DC thing, you know, I don't want to 
spoil anything for the from the comics. That's why. I, so it's kind of hard for me to because you know they do they have changed things a lot on the show. They're adapting things in different ways, which I'm looking which I look forward to them to continue doing. So I'm hoping I don't know where this DC storyline is going. So I'm kind of. I'm kind of hoping it's something that remains in the background while they do other things. I kind of like this whole on-the-road stuff they've been doing for the last half season or so, so I'm hoping at least through this half season we'll kind of stay on the move for a bit. You know, we won't hang out at the church too long, and, you know, this whole cannibal thing will get dealt with fairly quickly, although I have a fear that that may not. Um, regardless, I think, like I said, I'm I, I'm in on this season so far, the first two episodes. I think they've been really for the most part, really well executed and set up some really interesting existential stuff for the characters, which is something I've been waiting this show to get into in an interesting way for four seasons now. I'm not even entirely sure why Rick wouldn't want to go to DC. It's not like they had, they have like a plan, like they have no plans for their near future. And I, I think Abraham makes a good point. It's like they're on the road. It's like a road trip. Like what difference does it make if they go to DC or I don't know, like Kentucky but I do think it's a vital moment for the group because it introduces a new sense of purpose and a new destination. And right now, they don't really have anything to look forward to or move forward to. So for me, that's a really important scene. And I thought it was really well directed. And I loved his speech. I'm not usually a fan of a character getting up and making that sort of speech. But I like the way they, they even add Judith. You know, like she kind of laughs and Rick's like, OK, if Judith says yes, then we're going to go. So I like the way it was handled. Well, I think this is part of Rick's like identity crisis here is he just want to be a survivor in this world? Does he want to be a leader? Cause if a leader is somebody that needs to keep his people inspired, does he just want to be there and exist and keep his son safe and do the most logical thing every time? Or does he want to take risks? Does he want to expose people? Does he want to have to deal with the possibility of failure? Um, I think that's kind of a big thing that we're dealing with this season. So I think, I'm kind of surprised at how quickly I don't mind it because I don't want them to drag things out, but I'm surprised at how quickly things were handled with that whole debate on whether they should have a destination or kind of just take things as they go. Well, I mean, certainly going to any city is going to be risky. There's going to be a lot more walkers and a lot more. Uh, it's going to be a lot harder to defend in theory. Uh, so there, I mean, there is a risk to going to DC. And I also enjoy that <laughs> the speech that we get from Abraham. I liked it. It was well, uh, delivered by Cudlitz as well, Michael Cudlitz. But, um, the fact that none of the group just like busted out laughing when he's like, there's infrastructure, there's safety, there's food. I'm like, uh, guys, we went to the CDC in Atlanta. So, uh, when you say there's safety and an infrastructure and food, you're, you're lying. There's no way that that is actually all true. Um, and so the, you know, I, I think it's a goal and is why not go to DC? Sort of like we, you know, we said last week, Ricky, and like you said here, um, certainly why not? And uh, I think they're, the, he's willing to, Rick is willing to take that level of risk. They can always decide they don't want to go if it looks like it's too hairy. But, um, but yeah, this, this notion that everything is going to be sunshine and, and, uh, you know, flowers and puppy dogs in DC is just hilarious to me. Yeah, but I'm not entirely sure about the geography of the show, but I mean, they're still pretty close to, um, the terminus, which is where the, ha uh, the cannibals are living. And we do know that there's, or they should at least be smart enough to know that there's a good chance that some of the cannibals could have survived, including Garrett, for example. They're still pretty close to Woodbury. They're still pretty close to the prison. I mean, they're close to all of these locations in which they encounter crazy, crazy people. Like, I would want to move as far away as possible. <laughs> I, I would prefer to face a thousand zombies 
then face the governor and Gareth back to back again. Hmm. So would Bob. So would Bob, yes. Well, shall we move on to Bob then? Because that was the other thing I was really uh, energized by in this episode was, and we'll talk about the action set piece as well, but but the fact that I, mean, I was expecting Gareth and the group, his group to just kind of be like lurking in the shadows, watching them on while they're on patrol and stuff for, for like half of the season. And then they pop back up in the midseason finale or something. So I was relieved when they showed up here at the end of the second episode. I'm, you know, if The Walking Dead is going to just go and I say this in my review, just churn through plot for a while. That is a great thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and they basically recreate a famous comic book scene. I won't spoil it for anyone that hasn't read the book, but they just kind of switch two characters around. But yeah, I was surprised, like like Randy said, um, not not only surprised that we, you know, that they decide to go to DC as a group right away, but also surprised that we were out of Terminus within one episode. And now I'm surprised they bring back Gareth right away. Like they're really speeding through all these like plots. And I kind of like, the decisions that Scott and Gimple, the showrunners, making this season. And I, I, you know, we talked about this last year how we thought he was going to do a great job once he gets full control of the season. Because last season, if I'm not mistaken, he only came in about halfway, right? I think it was with the, um, I can't remember which episode it was, but he, he came in as showrunner about halfway through the season. So this is really his full first season. And I think he's so far doing a pretty good job. I think most people are satisfied. Can we talk about how Martin survived? What Tyrese did to him in the last episode. When I saw Martin's face, I was like, wait, no. I told you, Kate, last week we talked about this, and I was pretty sure he would survive. I was mm-hmm. like, there's no way Tyrese actually killed him. And you and Les were like, no, he killed him. But no, he's still alive, because that was him at the end of the episode. Yeah, I thought it was... I watched just a few minutes of Talking Dead, um, and I thought it was just adorable that Chad Coleman was like, oh, you guys noticed that? Huh. <laughs> like, he thought we wouldn't have, like, fr- you know, paused our... freeze-framed our our DVRs to see, was that really him? And uh, yes, it was. Uh, Those who are curious about how he could have survived, um, there's, Chad Coleman says a couple things in Talking Dead that could be considered spoilers, so I'm not going to say them here. But if you're curious about that, you can watch the beginning of Talking Dead from this week um, because there is, you get a little bit of context for that. Okay, well, I don't know what's going to happen, and I didn't watch Talking Dead, but I can't imagine it being a spoiler. I mean, they were inside a cabin, Tyrese was beating the crap out of him, and Mm -hmm. then we cut, and then later on, Carol meets Tyrese outside of the cabin. He stops her from going inside, which automatically was the first clue that, no, he didn't kill this guy. He probably knocked him unconscious. So, like, what's (laughs) the big secret? Weren't there a bunch of zombies around? Yeah, but Tyrese killed him. He took out the zombies. But I got to say, that last shot was absolutely disgusting. I mean, we've seen some crazy shit in the show. That is the one scene in which I almost puked. Like, I just, like, that was gross. Just watching him eat his leg and just loving it in front of Bob. Come on, guys. It was really good sound design for the, the fire, and but, like, also the chewing kind of sounds. And I can't be the only one who, first of all, thought of Hannibal from this past season with Eddie Izzard. Oh, of course. And second of all, saw the, the, the charred leg on the, 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 you know, the barbecue or the fire or whatever, and thought, you know, Hannibal would just be really disappointed in how they're wasting so much of this leg. Uh, it was pretty gross. But yeah, it was viscerally upsetting. They did a really good, and also the, the actor who plays Gareth, the delivery of that line, like 
that was very well done as well. Well, you know, the thing is, not only is Gabriel going to be around for the whole entire season, but I'm assuming, and I don't know, but I'm guessing that Gareth mm. isn't going anywhere anytime soon because the, the the tagline for the first half of the season is hunt or be hunted and based on all the previews and teasers and whatnot that we've had so far released like there's no way this is going to get resolved anytime soon i don't think mm-hmm. well just again having them and it, this is again something i say in my review but having uh having bob be taken by them but ha- yeah, but and then watch him be threatened by them would not be compelling. Having him be killed by them would be compelling for a little bit, but then he's dead. And so what they do here, I think, is so much more interesting and so much more uh, effective. He's not in any more immediate threat because they're going to just keep cutting off chunks of him to eat. So like for right now, they're full, you know, so, so he's not in an immediate threat. But the fact that they are they're the writers are committing to this story like no he's lost a leg they're gonna just keep cutting off chunks mm-hmm. will the group be able to find him that is that immediately establishes stakes it immediately it's it just it it takes the the stuff that we got last season with the cannibalism and just takes it to that next level of disturbing and it really makes these villains all the more engaging and and uh and again compelling threats to our heroes i think randy and i uh, are thinking something we can't actually say but i'm going to ask you a question kate um going back to bob earlier in the um in in the whatchamacallit the um the the, the place where they went to get the food supply mm-hmm. yeah he, like, I, he uh, totally got bit under the water right okay he was, so he was gonna go kill himself well, yeah i mean because look like, like real upset and asking for that one, they they played like, up that one more the kiss moment. Kiss. Like, yeah. Really yeah. played it up. The last kiss, the fact that he leaves to go outside and he starts crying. But then here's the thing, okay, so if he got bit, he's infected, they are eating him. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? <laughs> like, I, I don't like, know what but, that means in this, because this show has a different kind of take on the whole zombie thing than the comics book did. Right, but so it could be that they're going to get infected by eating him, but I doubt it because I don't think Gareth is going anywhere anytime soon. He's clearly eating his leg. And, and the doctor or... told them that they're all infected already, so it may not yeah, matter. But there are different levels of infection, different kinds of infection, because we we've seen everybody who's there, there's an airborne element to to this disease or whatever it is. So when all of them die, because they've already breathed in, they're all, everybody's infected, they're going to become zombies. But if they get bitten by zombies, it's like a secondary infection or a complementary infection where it kills them. So so the, the zombie bite infects them in a different way or triggers their already latent, like, lurking infection. Um, and that's why they had to cut off Herschel's... Uh, uh, leg to, to, you know, cause they already knew about the, the airborne thing at that point. So when they cut off his leg, it was to stop it from spreading like this other infection thing. So maybe the cure is to eat people. Fight <laughs> the virus with the virus. <laughs> maybe that's why they're cannibals. Cause why exactly are they cannibals? I mean, apart from like what we know about these evil men coming in and raping the women and killing the children, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, people are easier to hunt than deer. I mean, how many deer have they seen? Just that one, right? Right. Yeah, I guess. What do you think, Randy? Why they? Why are they hunting people? Well, because it's season five, and you got to up the stakes somewhere. But no, I think honestly, I think it's because <laughs> it's they're easier to hunt than deer. I yeah. say human survival instincts, even 
maybe maybe we're a year into this apocalypse now, really aren't the greatest as we've seen. Yeah. Well, shall we talk about that uh, fight scene then, the set piece? The flooded basement? I thought the flooded basement was fantastic, specifically because of the makeup. Like, that was some incredible makeup. Like, I, I think even by zombie standards, they're completely disgusting. The way it's, they're drooping and uh, they were just gross. Like, they were disgusting. I love the way David Boyd directs that specific scene. Uh, it's a great action set piece. It's not too fancy, but he does a good job in... I mean, look, again, I didn't think anybody was actually going to get bit. And then at the end, I'm assuming Bob is bitten, but we don't actually see him get bitten. he does the one dumb thing that anybody does. Oh, right. there's a bunch of uh, bubbles. Let me lean over it. I like the way they played around with it. Yeah. So the only thing I don't like about the episode in terms of the direction is, again, is a slow motion shot at the beginning of the episode. But I like the way David Boyd directed specifically the action set piece. What about you? I think it was I think it was great. I mean, we're getting to the point now where it's becoming a bit formulaic when they enter a building or something. We're like, okay, where are the zombies going to pop out of this time? I mean, it's kind of been that way since the beginning of the show, but the last few seasons as the set pieces have gotten more and more inventive. Ever since zombies started raining inside a building, I think <laughs> they've kind of upped the stakes and they've had to find new ways to be interesting. But I think this is an interesting – this was a fun one to do. it. It's a tough one to shoot. They did that in a really small, dark space – you know, people, you could only see people from the waist up, really, because everything else was underwater. It was That was tough to shoot, and they did a really good job keeping it coherent enough. You know, a lot of directors would lose that scene just in trying to keep track of the space, everybody's space in that for the audience. It's very hard to do. Oh, yeah, because uh, it wasn't made on like, um, on, like, a shooting stage, like a film stage. It was actually shot on location. Like, they actually found a warehouse or... Yeah, and you can tell. You can you can absolutely tell that it was filmed on location rather than on stage. It's just it's a very condensed space, and it feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. Last week we got fire zombies. This week we got slimes, slime zombies, and uh, they they really did work. And I liked seeing the group be effective to together. So walk in, assess the situation make a plan, execute that plan. The only reason there was any problem was because Carver, sorry, Gabriel freaked out and uh, they it forced them to push down the thing, which knocked down the zombies, which is what led to our, our theory that Bob's been bit. Um, and which again proves Rick isn't exactly the greatest leader in the world because I understand why you would want to bring Gabriel along, but you don't want to bring Gabriel along when you're going into a flooded basement and there's zombies. You should have tied him up or something. You know the guy is afraid of zombies. He's not going to fight them off. He's going to hold you back, and that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I mean, I see I see what he's saying in that if, if, if Gabriel had any people helping him or with him, they could just untie him upstairs, like watching. So tying him up upstairs it doesn't necessarily solve their we don't trust this guy problem but when he goes off by himself i'm sorry that's too bad for you you shouldn't have done that uh you get eaten and bob doesn't get you know his leg bit well but 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 that's the question of of the episode and, and the season is how does rick and his and his and his group react to helping people and clearly even though rick thinks that he can't trust gabriel he still mentally in a in, in a point where he will still help Gabriel despite the fact that he knows it's a danger to him and everyone else. Yeah, that's true. It does tie in with that theme. Um, I do have to say two of the zombies stood out or the walkers stood out in that sequence. Uh, first, the organist who, like, 
I was so disappointed when we saw the picture and she was young because in my head she was like the old church lady with like the glasses with the chain and everything. And it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> so that was awesome. Um, and then the zombie that pops out out of the water with for to attack Bob, that was just bad. That's got to be like the worst looking, like most fake looking zombie the show's ever done. It was not good. <laughs> I think the worst zombie in this episode is Rosalita. What is up with Rosalita? She might as well be a zombie. I don't even think we've heard her speak in like three episodes. At least Tara got some dialogue. She's there. <laughs> <laughs> is she T-Dog 2.0? <laughs> yeah. She exists. So. Yeah. See, the thing about Tara... Can't she just be? <laughs> no, but Tara is sort of like... <sighs> Uh, well, I can't call her like Angie or Laurie, but she's one of those characters who annoys me specifically because of the writing of her character, but just her character in general. Like, I just find her annoying. Whereas Rosalita looks like she can actually be a kick-ass character, but she's just like useless. Like, why aren't they giving her something to do? Like, she's, she looks incredibly badass, you know, but she's in the background. Like, I, even Abraham has very little to do in this season so far, but at least in this episode, he gets his big speech. But Rosalita, I don't know. Well, and even just looking, you know, in the background, in those, in that dinner scene, like, just when you saw Eugene, he was, he looked hilarious. Because he was just, you know, had that posture that the actor's giving the the character. He's kind of slouched, he's just like, yep, I'm eating beans. <laughs> you know, so even the, the nonverbal moments with that character are interesting or entertaining. Whereas with Rosalita, we still know nothing about her other than she's with Abraham and Eugene. Yeah, we got to talk about our favorite character, Carol. Well, Carol was pretty pretty fun this week. Uh, do we? I, when I saw that uh, the, in the preview for this week that there was going to be a church, I was like, "Oh, that must be where Beth is at," because the you know there was that the cross in the wind windshield. So, uh, I mean, do we? Do you guys think that we're going to get her next week, or is, are they going to stretch that out even further? Well, well I, I mean, think I'm, I'm assuming that Carol and Daryl are going to disappear for an episode. I think that might be a safe bet. Do you think we'll get an, a standalone episode with just them? That might be fun. Oh my god, that would be amazing! Oh my god, that would be amazing. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine them doing an episode without Carol and Daryl because right now they're like the two most popular characters on the show. But an episode with just Carol and Daryl, man, give me two back to back. Going I'm to s- save Beth, kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, well, do, do like a two parter. Well, I think it'd just be a fun way to, you know, do the next episode, regular church stuff, whatever's going on with Gabriel, blah, blah, blah. Then the episode after that, pick up with Daryl and Carol jumping in the car and driving away after they kick the taillights out and see what happens. I love that detail, by the way. What, the the, the cross? No, no, that they kick the taillight, that that uh, Carol's like, what are you doing? But he's kicking out the taillights because he can't stop them from, he can not turn on his headlights, but he can't do anything about the taillights. So he kicks them out so that they won't make any light at all. I wouldn't have thought of that. I like that he did. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. But also I like the fact that earlier on, we we're, we pretty much understand that Carol wants to leave or is thinking about leaving. And, you know, we get it towards the end of the episode. It's sort of like a nice little payoff. Uh, and I do, I, I love the fact that Daryl catches her because the last thing I want is to lose Carol right now. Uh, but yeah, just the idea of Carol and Daryl on the road, speeding down the highway, chasing some, I don't know who, some undertaker who has like a cross <laughs> in the, in the back the show's most improved character. Yeah. What have we not talked about yet that you guys want to cover? 
Okay, so I want to set the over-under here. What episode will we see the silencers? The silencers are coming back. They show us those silencers for a reason. Yeah, wow. I was expecting that Bob was going to use one to kill himself outside, actually. <laughs> Just... Uh, <laughs> yeah, because he didn't want to, like, mess with the party, you know? Uh, but then, that, of course, they Carl, went a different way. Where's the silencer? I don't know. I wrote I wrote that in my review too. Just the fact that they focus so heavily on the silencers. Um, Check off silencers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're coming into play somewhere and somehow. Yeah, like I have a list of all the things that are most likely going to happen in the next few weeks of The Walking Dead. But uh, I also like the fact that we get to see uh, Glenn be like a kick-ass scavenger because no one does it better than Glenn to the fact to the point where he can actually find silencers. And I like his line of dialogue. I can't remember what he says, but something in the lines of, uh, uh, what did what did he say? Like. Anything good that's left is hidden or anything valuable yeah. is hidden. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that ties in very much directly in not the most nuanced way with what Tara says later about how she didn't want her connection to the governor to be hidden. Um, and she didn't, you know, like the looking at who's keeping secrets and who's not amongst the group. You know, it's nice that for the most part, Carol can't really process and talk about everything that happened at the prison and then with the girls that is very understandable but i like that tara comes out in the open with stuff that the rest of the group too there's like we don't need the drama we don't need all this other stuff let's just move forward together um i have a question um does anybody remember the reason behind carol and rick exchanging watches because they're besties no there's like a (laughs) specific reason i can't remember why I'm having trouble. I feel like a bad Walking Dead podcaster because I can't remember which watch that was that Carol found. Whose was that? There's two watches. Rick had a watch and Herschel has a watch or had a watch. Yeah. And I think Herschel's watch was given to... Rick has Herschel's watch, doesn't he? Doesn't Maggie have it? Because she had the pocket watch. Isn't that Herschel's? Yeah. Maggie Oh my God. There's too many watches. I can't keep up anymore. But there's like... There's two too many. I think... No, I think there's only two watches. I think... Herschel gave Maggie and or Glenn his watch, but Rick also has a watch, which I think he gave to Carol. I'm not entirely sure anymore. I forget. Maybe when she was like when he was sending her off on her own. I think so. I think so. That sounds vaguely familiar, but it's been a while. Maggie definitely has. You know what? I remember Maggie definitely has Herschel's pocket watch because she was in the premiere, the chain. Re, yeah, because Rick's using the chain in the premiere to, to yeah. carve the shiv, stakes. And then Maggie has it when they leave. <laughs> well, and we talked about this last week because apparently, according to our guest host, Les Chappell, who came on last week on the podcast, he says that he rewatched the season finale, like season four, uh, four finale. Are we in season four? No, we're, season in, season five. we're in five. Yeah, season four finale. And he says that they actually took, or maybe it was the episode before, but he says that Gareth actually took the watch before he put them like in the uh, in the freight cart. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how Maggie got back to watch. It's all confusing. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't even think um, the show. I don't even think the writers of the show know, know what. I think the uh, isn't the other one. The other watch is Rick's watch that he gives. Doesn't he give that to Carol when they part ways? When he tells her she can't come back with the group, isn't that the thing he gives her? Yeah, but but Carol picks up a watch when she goes to the rescue in the last episode, right? Right before mm-hmm. she kills Mary, the crazy like cannibal lady. So she finds a watch in the terminus. Maggie has a watch. So the, the yep. watch, like Rick was wearing the watch. Th- anyway, I, th- I think we're gonna have to throw this one out to the listeners. 
Yeah. Because um, I'm sure there's a listener, at least one, if not several, that are yelling them. at their iPod, iPads or, you know, streaming devices. Uh, let us know what's going on with the watches and who's got which and the, the background of them. Because I, for one, want to know. Because I feel like I should. I know one of the reasons that they show them so much, Greg Nicotero did an interview, I believe it was over the summer, and he talks about how they always are changing the clock so it matches whatever episode they're filming. So I don't mm. know if that's just them saying, look, we did it again. So it has nothing to do with them like casting Christopher Walken in a future episode? I don't know. I know I know that you know the if you look at the watches in the season premiere, they're all at 501. Huh. That's fun. Nice little Easter egg there. Well, do we have any other final uh, thoughts for this episode or things that we're hoping for maybe in the, you know, in next weeks or in the coming weeks? I feel like we should bet how long it's going to take before he loses a, one more body part, Bob. Like, what's next? The leg? The arm, Why's it got to be the black guy who who's getting killed? <laughs> Am I the only one who's going to point that out? Yes, I know there's more than one on the show now, but why is he the first one to go in danger? And why is the other person who's in danger at the beginning of the season also a black guy? He's just a priest. Uh, I don't know. I can't really complain about that because there's been so many people of color cast the I mean, it's good. They've gotten five, better. Six. We'll give them that. They've gotten a lot better, but... I mean, they can't really do the story the way they did it in the comics because the character that they did it in the comics with is dead, so that doesn't yeah. work. So I don't yeah. know. I, I just, I maybe I just want to know why they pick Bob in particular. I don't Actually, want that... those, if they're taking actors from the Wire, I want them to stay on the show so I can watch them every week. Because Bob and Sasha were happy, so you know we can't have that. <laughs> and also... that was the one thing about the episode I didn't like. I've gushed a lot like about that. it. That was the one thing that didn't work was how obvious they made it that something was going to happen to Bob. He was so freaking he was euphoric in this episode he basically was skipping around and you know this guy was an alcoholic last season so i was like all right this guy's a little too happy something's going on here and there it is no more skipping so the reason he uh uh he he leaves is we you know we're theorizing he was gonna you know go kill himself um but also maybe it's because he's trying he doesn't want to be around the giant booze up um and that's the reason that he gets taken just because he's happens to be the person who's outside but i mean um with you know because we've got we've got bob we've got tyrese we've got sasha um we've got um we've got gabriel now i mean there's there's we got you know rosalie if you're gonna we've got michonne we've got rosalita there's a lot of persons of color on the show at this point and i'm and so the fact that it is bob I'm, you know, I'm fine with that because uh, I, I wouldn't believe that they were going to to do that. We wouldn't care if they did it to the new people, so like Abraham or Eugene, and they're not going to do it to Glenn, and they're not going to do it to Rick. So who does? Who, and they're not going to do Tara? it to Daryl. Yeah, but we wouldn't. Yeah, care I was going to say Daryl's probably a little bit safer than than Glenn. Of, <laughs> of anybody on the main cast, I'm going to say that. No offense, but Glenn may have the smallest following. <laughs> And yes, it was very telegraphed that something was going to happen, but it still worked for me. Um, regarding what you said about Glenn, Randy, I I think that's what I also like about this episode. We get to see Glenn be the Glenn we like, the he Glenn that can actually, Glenn. yeah, the Glenn that can actually find like three silencers hidden in like God knows where. But I do have a serious question before we finish off the podcast. Okay, so I don't think it was surprising to see Carol sneak off in the middle of the night and try to leave, but. Do you think that she was leaving because she feels like maybe the group doesn't really want her still or not necessarily the group of Rick? My question is, is she having trouble dealing with Rick's betrayal or uh, is she like 
still having uh, trouble dealing with her guilt about killing Lizzie and Mika? Like, is it a combination of things? Like, why does she want to leave? I think she's still messed up because of Lizzie and Mika. I think, you know, and she doesn't know how to be with a group again, you know, because she was by herself for a while. And she's so, you know, taking care of those girls. She she gave her heart to them. Uh, and she really was very attached to them and that they were her family. And then this horrible thing happened. So she's not sure she can be with other people. You know, yeah. Tyrese, so she needed... Ty- she needed to protect Tyrese and the baby because because Tyrese was not in a condition to be able to defend himself and Judith. But Judith is now with other people who can take care of her. Tyrese is with his sister. That at least that's what I took away from it. Yeah. So she basically she's afraid of losing someone important to her again. So she she would prefer to be alone. Okay. That, that's what I think. She's still coming off murdering a child. I mean, that takes some time to get over. Yeah. It's, oh oh the Grove. Fond memories of the Grove. Well, uh, on that cheery note, unless we have any final thoughts, um, uh, thank you, Randy, so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, anywhere. <laughs> Just follow me on Twitter. I'm at Process Media, and you can I tweet about the stuff I'm writing enough. It's the okay. easiest way to do it. And Ricky, how about you? On Twitter, Sound Unsaid. Of course, visit our website, soundonsaid.org. We do have a movie podcast in which we do review a lot of um, like horror films. And uh, I co-host with Simon Howell, your co-host over to the Televerse Podcast. So once again, Sound Onsite on Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook. Like, Thank you to everyone who supported us so far. I think we're going to reach maybe 10,000 hits before the year is over. Maybe more. So I'm, I'm excited. That is awesome. And <laughs> so many more than we have at Televerse. Uh, the Televerse is Facebook page. But that's my bad because I don't do enough over there. Um, the Televerse is the TV podcast I host with uh, Simon Howell at Sound on Sight. And that goes out every Tuesday night, the wee hours of Wednesday sometimes. And that covers the rest of TV. Uh, so many shows. Um, but you guys can find that at Sound on Sight. You can also find some of my writing at the AV Club. And uh, on Twitter, I'm at the Televerse. And I love talking these shows with y'all. So drop me a line there and uh i yeah let me know about the watch let me know about some of these other things that i'm sure we may have uh missed but uh it's always a pleasure talking walking dead with with my lovely co-hosts here and also with the listeners at home so with that we will wrap up for this week next week we'll be back to talk about episode three of season five four walls and a roof written by angela kang and directed by jeffrey f january um until then uh, thank you all for listening we'll be back next week I just hope you understand that nothing happening to you now is personal. Yeah, you put us in this situation and it is almost kind of a cosmic justice for it to be you, but we would have done this to anybody. We will. But at the end of the day, No matter how much we hate all this ugly business. A man's gotta eat. If it makes you feel any better, You taste much better than we thought you would.
the mouth. 